Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, John. From The Recount and iHeartRadio, this is the News Items Podcast, bringing you analysis based on my newsletter, News Items. It's Tuesday, May 25th. John, what do you want to talk about today? Well, we'll start with the latest news out of Wuhan. Apparently, three researchers from the Institute of Virology sought hospital care in November 2019. The timing appears to be more than coincidental. I also want to get into the New Yorker's excellent update on Havana Syndrome. The syndrome was first reported by a few CIA and State Department employees in Cuba, and now it's hit over 130 U.S. government employees around the world. How about you? I want to talk about CLOs, which are securities backed by corporate loans. They're selling at a 16-year high, and we'll explain why it matters. Wall Street never learns. Then let's talk about Amazon's possible deal to buy the famed Hollywood studio, MGM. All right. Before we get to the items, let's start with two science and tech headlines. First, John, for the people of Singapore, the nose swab COVID test could be a thing of the past. The country's health authority has approved a breath test for the disease, and it works kind of like a breathalyzer. Patients blow into a mouthpiece, and the diagnostic uses machine learning to compare compounds in a person's breath to those expected of someone with COVID-19. And it gives results within just one minute. That sounds way less invasive than getting a swab shoved up your nasal cavity. Tell me about this, John. How accurate is the test? Bloomberg reports that a pilot study in Singapore reached sensitivity and specificity north of 90%. Well, that's not bad. Pretty good. Good for them. It's the University of uh, Singapore. It is potentially a game changer, particularly, I think, for travel, because if Mm -hmm. you get on the airplane and you're fully confident that no one on the airplane has COVID, you're much more likely to travel, obviously. So it's, it's a huge deal. And if it's true, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to our next headline. Apple played dumb in its case against Epic Games. Epic, the maker of the ultra-popular cartoonish shooting game Fortnite, sells virtual stuff like clothes for their characters. Apple gets a 30% cut of that and all other transactions done in games downloaded from the company's App Store, which is the only legitimate way to get apps onto an iPhone. Epic claims that Apple's profit margin on the App Store hits 78% and that that constitutes a monopoly, so they sued. When Apple CEO Tim Cook took the stand on Friday, he said Apple didn't break out profits and losses for the App Store, so it had no way of knowing just how good its margins are. John, do you believe that? Well, uh, no. 
<laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I think the idea that, you know, when Tim Cook looks across the conference table and says, you know, how are we doing on that? <laughs> and the person responsible says, gee, yeah. I have no idea we don't break out our profits that way. That person would be, you know, fired. So yeah. Cook going on the stand and and maintaining this posture I think the judge must have been rolling her eyes. It just, mm -hmm. you know, it's just preposterous. Yeah. And so going into the trial, if you will, it was thought that Epic's chances of winning were, you know, sort of one in four, one in five. Yeah. And now it's better than even money. The questioning of Cook was devastating mm -hmm. to Apple's case. So we'll see what the judge rules. But it has not been a good couple of weeks for Apple, for sure. Yeah. And it was a dreadful couple of days for Cook. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the news items. Now that the economy is recovering and investors are looking for higher yields, more of them seem willing to take a risk on CLOs. Citibank says collateralized loan obligations are a $760 billion market, and according to the Wall Street Journal, both Citi and Bank of America are projecting that their CLO sales this year will be their highest ever. Oh, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, this feels very 2007, 2008. It sure does. <laughs> Walk us through the basics here. What are CLOs? Okay. Given the history, why are they so appealing to investors now? Well, look, I mean, markets have like a teetsy fly memory. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> never overestimate the memory of the market, right? You knew CLOs in 2007, 2008 is CDOs, collateralized debt obligations. So different names, same concept. It's below investment-grade corporate loans chopped up and uh, sort of packaged as derivatives. Because these are packages of loans, the risk is, in theory, diversified. And so the derivatives may enjoy a higher credit rating than the underlying loans taken on their own. Higher credit ratings means that a broader array of investors can invest in them, including banks and insurers, which normally can invest only in investment-grade instruments. You know, as to why they're attractive to investors, there's one word, and that's yield. I mean, investors are starved for yield in an ultra-low interest rate environment. They're, you know, looking for returns. And uh, yields on uh, CLOs typically do rise with interest rates. We have an outlook to, you know, possibly tighter sooner than anticipated interest rate regime from the Fed um, as the economy recovers. And that's made collateralized loan obligations look more attractive on a relative basis. And the relative safety is, I, I hate to, <laughs> I hate to even raise yeah. it, but the credit rating agencies are checking off on this? Apparently so. According to the Wall Street Journal's reporting, just six non-financial junk-rated bonds have defaulted in the first quarter of this year. And, you know, I think that with the economic recovery gathering speed as vaccines are rolled out and people get more into a regular rhythm of daily life, I think there are probably better economic prospects even for firms that are junk-rated. That's the bet, right? Right. That's that's the bet. As we mentioned in the intro, you know, Bank of America and Citi are very bullish on expected issuance by year end. But there are some mostly private equity investors that have taken the other side of that trade. BlackRock is reportedly cutting its exposure to CLOs. And KKR has been out with recent research saying that some tranches in the CLO market haven't traded consistently, is, is the word used in the reporting. That's a good word. Yes. Consistently. Consistently. That may or may not be a sign of some wobbliness in the market. But institutional investors especially have been chasing yield for many years now. You look at the average AAA-rated CLO, I mean, that's paid, 
you know, 116 basis points over LIBOR. That's great. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I would say it's probably premature to say that uh, major bellwether investors are running for the exits. I mean, I don't know that we've seen the first move in a cascade, let's say. I think it's just the market is getting very large. They're called CLOs. They used to be called CDOs. You know what happened if you were alive in 2007 and 2008. But the basic is that Darst Ellis uh, private (laughs) equity buys $100 million worth of these things. And our bet is that the economic boom that is promised, that rising tide will lift all boats. Correct. And there will be a greater fool to buy (laughs) our investment. That's right. So it's all Mm -hmm. good until it's not, right? Right. Yeah. So you hold, yes. So you hold while I sell. That's it. All right. Yeah. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Next, in 2016, The New Yorker ran a story about a mysterious group of symptoms called Havana Syndrome. Some CIA and State Department officials in Cuba reported that they felt like they were, quote, being bombarded by waves of pressure in their heads, unquote. That initial sensation led to a wide variety of symptoms that in some cases included persistent debilitating migraines and loss of muscle control. In response, the CIA closed down its station in Cuba and the State Department pulled its diplomats. Now, the New Yorker is reporting that there are over 130 documented cases of U.S. government employees suffering from Havana syndrome, and it's hit them all over the world, even in the White House. John, give us more details and help us unpack this story and its significance, because it is creepy. The theory, the reigning theory, is that the cause of these incidents is microwave radiation. So you're essentially frying a person's brain. And at first, as you said, it was in Cuba, U.S. diplomats and part of the CIA station there, and they reported these symptoms. It then becomes a kind of classic U.S. government bureaucracy story. Mm -hmm. CIA said, we're not sure. FBI said, maybe not. And incredibly, the FBI did not interview a single victim. Why? Uh, who knows, right? <laughs> I mean, finally it got to the Defense Department and they took it seriously yeah. and believed that either the Russians or the Chinese were behind it. Uh, the Trump administration and Mr. Pottinger, the National Security Advisor, Deputy National Security Advisor, really got on this case big time and, and was the person who really pushed yeah. the Defense Department to do its work on it. Yeah. And the Biden people have taken it up and are aggressively pursuing it. And so we should know more, you know, six months, maybe in a year. Uh But it's now, regardless of the, you know, of course, this is one of those things where if the Trump administration believed it, it was wrong. Now that the Biden administration believes it perhaps even more strenuously than some members of the Trump administration, you know, it's now taken very seriously Uh, The reporting that's been done in The New Yorker is fantastic, and uh, The Washington Post has also done a really good job reporting this story. During the Senate confirmation hearing of Biden's nominee for CIA Director William Burns, Burns described the Havana syndrome cases as attacks, reportedly privately told his colleagues within the Biden administration, as well as members of Congress, that these were directed microwave attacks that were designed to access or download intelligence from devices, like a laptop or a a mobile phone or something like that. Right. 
Having spoken with you about this and other covert attacks on the United States, like cyber attacks, I know you have thoughts on what the U.S. should do about it in response. You know, we get hit by cyber hacks, right? Yeah. Solar wind, etc. We get hit by microwave radiation. Again and again and again, the U.S. is sort of under unconventional attack from obvious sources, China, Iran, Russia. And you think to yourself, at some point, don't you have to respond to this? I mean, it strikes me as astonishing that we keep getting hit and we don't do anything. Yeah. And I think, as I said last week, I think it's politically untenable. And one of the reasons I think the Biden administration is taking these things uh, more seriously than, than otherwise. But moving on, let's go to the next news item. Amazon is reportedly close to buying legendary film studio MGM for $9 billion, including debt. For a little context here, Amazon spent $7 billion on original content in 2020. If the deal goes through, this would be Amazon's second biggest acquisition ever behind Whole Foods. John, what do you think this possible deal says about Amazon's ambitions in the streaming market? Ambitions which are no secret to anyone. I actually think this is about the way big tech looks at the world. Okay. Which is to say they view it as an attention economy. Mm-hmm. You know, in order, obviously, to command attention, you need stuff that people want to watch. Mm-hmm. MGM has the Bond franchise. It has the Pink Panther franchise. You know, it has really valuable, quote, content, end quote. Yeah. And Amazon can use that to command more of your attention, my attention. They have singing in the rain, so we can watch that, you know, a hundred times and still want to watch it some more. So here's a question for you. You listed a number of the illustrious franchise portfolio holdings of MGM. That's a privately held company that was valued at around $5.5 billion, including its debt last December. What is the crown jewel that MGM has that would lead Amazon to pay $9 billion if that is indeed the handshake price on this transaction? That seems like an astonishing premium. The Bond franchise, obviously, although it's co-owned, the Rocky franchise is big. The Pink Panther franchise is big for people like me. But I, I don't think Amazon looks at it, obviously, they look at it in terms of dollars and cents. But the more important metric for them, I think, is attention. Yeah. And they think that this will, over a long, very long period of time, increase the amount of attention that they command from, you know, a vast audience. Well, it's going to be exciting to see where this takes the film industry. Well, if they ever get that Bond movie done, we'll be hopefully be watching it on Amazon. All right. Stay tuned. Literally. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the News Items Podcast. On Sunday, the Wall Street Journal broke news about a U.S. intelligence report that says three researchers at China's Wuhan Institute of Virology sought hospital care in November 2019. That's around the same time that the novel coronavirus is thought to have started spreading in the city. It's not clear whether the virologists suffered from COVID-19 specifically, but U.S. intelligence agencies are investigating while China denies the hospitalizations outright. There's a very simple way to solve this, which is the three sick workers worked at the lab. Mm -hmm. They all got sick at the same time. So the testing on them, because they worked at the lab, would have been extensive. Mm -hmm. And if there were antibodies to SARS-CoV-2, the Chinese government, the lab, everybody would know that. Mm -hmm. So really all China has to do is show us the test results on the three workers from the lab. That's all um, China has to do. <laughs> that's all they have to do <laughs> yeah. for us to know whether it's linked or not. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely straightforward, which is why I suspect they denied the hospitalizations outright. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we will look to the international bodies to make that request. The request will be denied. And there we are. The one thing we do know is that the intelligence report, the portion that was leaked to the Wall Street Journal, is, as they say, just a taste, an appetizer yeah. of what is in the remainder of the report. Uh -huh. And, of course, that will be made public at some point as this escalates. So this is an ongoing story. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about this story is that when it was first proposed as an explanation for what happened in COVID, which is to say the origin was an accidental lab leak or the wilder piece was it was a bioweapon, mm -hmm. when that was put forth by Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas and Matt Pottinger, who was the deputy national security advisor, it was characterized in the press, in the U.S. press especially, as a wild, crazed conspiracy theory. And wow. the conspiracy theory narrative of the Wuhan lab leak continued all the way through to about a couple of weeks ago when 18 of the most prominent scientists in the world said, no, we ought to look at this. It's not necessarily saying that it is the case, but we have to include it as one of the possible sources of the virus. It will be interesting to see yeah. if all those reporters and editors issue an apology to Mr. Cotton and Mr. Pottinger. I wouldn't hold my breath. Do you have any information on the timing or provenance of the intelligence report? How long has this information been? sitting around on someone's desk. The intelligence report was called up by Pottinger 
He's a China expert. He covered China for Reuters for many years Mm -hmm. and knows the country well. And he was convinced that the Wuhan lab leak theory was at least necessary to investigate because obviously it had huge implications. And the Central Intelligence Agency was tasked with the job of doing that. And that investigation, I assume, involved sources and means that they don't ever want made public. Mm -hmm. But it is the opinion of the people who conducted that investigation that the Wuhan lab leak theory is certainly viable and impossible to ignore. So Trump's State Department initially forwarded this idea of the lab leak theory. John, walk us through what happened with media coverage after that point. Well, the big thing about the lab leak theory was that President Trump was not promoting it, but aggressively, you know, he called it the Wuhan flu, and he made it clear that he thought lab leak was at least possible, and I thought he made it clear that he thought it was probable. And because Trump said it, of course, then it must be wrong, so the press went off in a completely different direction, and... (laughs) It was one of those horrible instances for the press where it turned out that Trump was right or at least more accurate in terms of, you know, parsing what the possible causes of the virus were. So, you know, it was a classic case of the press choosing sides. And because it was still in the realm of conspiracy theory, it was it didn't get much coverage. I think the thing that really turned it around in terms of demanding accountability was when the WHO said, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, the lab leak theory isn't worth taking seriously. And the new Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, said, go back and redo your homework because this Mm -hmm. doesn't cut it. And that was a sea change in terms of the perception of the lab leak theory because the Democrats said it was a possibility. It was now a possibility. There's something kind of incongruous here where if Trump and his appointees knew or had good intel that the virus had escaped from a lab in China, why would they have downplayed the severity of the virus in the critical early weeks and months? You would think that if they had that intel, they would be even more uh, inclined to absolutely uh, take a megaphone and immediately work to counteract the effects. I mean, it's just that's something that certainly has political overtones and hasn't really been satisfactorily addressed. Oh, Rebecca, this what? is the tr- this is the Trump administration. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> so I, mean, I should laugh. The, I mean, the president like... uh, was informed in mid January mm-hmm. that this was a once in a century event, right? And that the administration had to go on a war footing immediately, and it had to do the thousand things that they should have done. And Trump, you know, was concerned that it would be bad for the markets and that it would hurt his reelection campaign. So he entered into a fantasy that it was no big deal. And Trump didn't want to talk about it. When he did talk about it, he dismissed it. But the National Security Council and eventually the CIA, et cetera, grinded away at the investigative process. And here we are, what, a year and a half later, still not sure if it was a lab leak. I mean, we're not saying... We shouldn't say that the lab leak is the explanation. It's just that the lab leak was dismissed for so long, and now it's in the proper place, which is it's one of the two likely causes of the virus. Well, 
The plot thickens. The plot does thicken. <laughs> and the one thing you know about news items is we cover Wuhan all the time. 24-7. 24-7. News items reports, you decide. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but if you really want the goods, get the newsletter on Substack. It comes out very early, bright and early, almost every day in your inbox. Just Google the word Substack news items and it'll come right up. For more insights into the global market of things, check out Rebecca's website, investableuniverse.com. News Items is produced by Christian Castro-Russell, Pierre Bienname, Anna Mazarakis, and Ali Rogers. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby. Our recording engineer is Tom Stewart, and we'd like to thank the whole team at Factory Underground. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with more of the news. See you then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.